Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Mike Case, CEO of CHC Health, about transitional care management. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Mike Case, CEO of CHC Health, and uh, welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, so, wanted to get things started by uh, just having you tell me a little bit about yourself and about CHC. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, so yeah, I, as you said, I'm the CEO and founder of CHC Health. Uh, I am a pharmacist by training. I've worked in lots of different types of pharmacy throughout my career from community and hospital managed care. Uh, worked at Outcomes MTM McCartney Health Company for a number of years. Uh, started the consulting company about eight, nine years ago and was working in a retail pharmacy at the same time. I got robbed at knife point and then a couple weeks later got robbed at gunpoint. So my wife kind of told me I was done working retail pharmacy and uh, was going to start doing this consulting job uh, full time. So again, that was about eight, nine years ago. Um, since then, I uh, did a lot of consulting work with a lot of different pharmacy chains and, and industry leaders. And then kind of decided to start kind of growing my own network and starting to do this work ourselves. And so really what what we've focused on is what clinical pharmacists can be doing from a virtual um, uh, environment. And kind of prior to COVID, that was pretty novel. There wasn't a lot of people doing a lot of telehealth related work. Of course, that's pretty fairly common work now, but uh, we've got anywhere from 400 to 500 clinical pharmacists at any time that are working for us. Uh, We are trying to focus on not medication distribution. We're really focused on medication management, and helping ensure patients are optimizing the drug therapy that they're on. Um, so that's really been a big focus for us and to really utilize clinical pharmacists to the best of their ability. Um, and, and this is kind of a role that most pharmacists aren't used to. And so that's kind of been really, really exciting for us as we continue to keep scaling and growing and some of that type of great stuff. We just recently, as a few months ago, were acquired uh, by pac for You. Uh, and pac for You does a lot of work around adherence, works with a lot of different pharmacy uh, entities. Uh, really kind of focus on that patient home experience on medication distribution within the home um, for that patient and also tying in like remote patient monitoring and, and even like transitions of care. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that later too, but, um, you know, that's important to kind of add that, that we're now part of a, you know, a bigger solution and we're really excited about that, uh, that acquisition merger. Yeah, it's great. Um, so yeah, today we're going to talk about uh, you know, medication non-adherence and how uh, transitional care management services can can really help kind of uh, uh, improve clinical outcomes. So I guess, first off, how big of a problem is medication non-adherence? Yeah, this is actually a really significant problem. Um, if we look at the U.S. healthcare system alone, you, know, you, you see different numbers out there, but anywhere from like 290 to $300 billion a year annually, uh, it is really what the cost of medication non-adherence is in the U.S. That number um, is pretty significant, just from, of course, from a cost perspective. But if we start looking at some other costs that go along into actual medication optimization, that's even a much higher number. I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But if we look at just non-adherence, and again, that's just mainly patients not taking the medications as prescribed by their physician. Uh, this also can tie into a lot of adverse drug events or what we call ADEs, mm-hmm. which are pretty significant too. Uh, if we look at like, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services or what we know as CMS, they recently published um, a 
an article that talks about the, the high readmission rates in the U.S. and showed about almost 2,500 hospitals have had some level of, of really significant readmission rates. And CMS actually does not pay hospitals or they have penalties associated with those readmission rates. So if you're a hospital, you've got high readmission rates, it can actually deduct or, or you can have penalties associated with how much your reimbursement is going to be for Medicare and Medicaid services across your whole board. So that could be pretty significant as well. So that's something a lot of people are kind of focused on. If we look at what adverse drug events are and kind of how they are affecting us in the U.S., it's actually the fourth leading cause of death in the U.S. So it's very, very significant mm -hmm. that patients are having what we call medication misadventures or they're having some sort of drug reaction or an adverse effect to those medications that they're on. And that, that can really affect um, the likelihood of them having a readmission into the hospital, the length of the stay of their hospitalization. If you look at the, the types of patients or the reasons patients are being readmitted, greater than 50% of the time, it's due to some sort of medication-related problem. So this is something that's, that's really a significant problem that we're trying to focus on and try to come up with different solutions to impact them. You also look at productivity that can be you know, associated with patients that are having to spend more time in the hospital or having to get readmitted and, and some of the issues going along with that. If you look at it from a cost perspective, just one adverse drug event on average is going to cost anywhere from about eight to $11,000. So just having one adverse drug event can be a pretty significant challenge in, uh, from a cost perspective too. If we look at kind of the risks of ADEs, the more medications a patient is on, it, it synergistically, it, it kind of just compounds on top of it. So it's not just a one medication plus one medication equals two medications. It's as you add more and more medications to that patient, the higher likelihood of them having an ADE is going to happen. So if we look at, for a patient, say, for example, they're on two medications, they've got about a 13% chance of having an ADE. If we increase that number to five medications, and that's kind of an industry what we consider polypharmacy, mm -hmm. so meaning a patient's on multiple medications, it's really that kind of five medications or more. Um, those patients have about a 58% chance of having an ADE. And then if you get over like seven or more medications, that number jumps up to 82%. Wow. Um, we get it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty significant. It's, it's a big number. And we have a lot of patients that we manage that, you know, they may be on, you know, 15, 20, 30 medications, especially in a, a, an elderly population that may have multiple comorbidities. And, and, you know, we've got lots of specialists. So, you know, as a, as a physician, if you're a specialist, I'm like, I'm going to put on these medications and next specialist puts on their medications. And the next thing you know, a patient's on multiple, multiple medications. And, you know, oftentimes there's drug interactions or, unnecessary medications for those patients. And, and it can be a, a real burdensome just from a you know compliance or an adherence perspective, not, not only just kind of what can happen from an outcomes perspective then too. Um, you know, it also gets more complicated as patients are transitioning from different facilities or different places where they're getting their care. So if they're from home, they're going to the hospital, Maybe they're going to skilled nursing, but after that, maybe long-term care, maybe back home. Every time there's that transition of care, there can be some major, major issues that can go on with that patient then too. So something as simple as 
reconciliation of those medications and mm -hmm. saying, here's the medications you're on when you came into the hospital, here's the medications that you're gonna go home on, and this is what we want you to be on when you're at home. That may sound simple and easy, but oftentimes it's very, very complicated. And it's very confusing for patients, especially when they've been in the hospital, they're wanting to go home. You know, when you've got a, a nurse or a pharmacist or whoever's talking to them as they're leaving the hospital, they're wanting to, they want to get home. They want to get out of the hospital. So they may not be listening. Right. Not, they just might be overwhelmed. So that medication reconciliation is really, really important where, you know, oftentimes, again, patients come in on 20 medications. The hospitals put them on 10 different medications. Well, the patient goes home, they think they're taking 30 medications, and, and half of those are supposed to be discontinued. And there's just a lot of potential for error, and we see a lot of error with that. And so by having clinical pharmacists involved in that transition of care really can help significantly decrease the likelihood of issues happening, and that will help that patient get you know, healthier, faster, decrease the likelihood of readmissions and some of those types of things then too. So you know, I, I think, you know, I know your question is really around non-adherence, and I think that's very, very important, but I think it's also almost a step beyond that is ensuring we've got medication optimization as well. Um, as clinical pharmacists, that's what we try to focus on too, where, you know, non-adherence is about $290 billion annually, like I said. But if you look at medication optimization, that costs about $528 billion per year to the healthcare system. So if you look at it from a return on investment perspective, we actually spend more money to reverse the effects of medications in the U.S. than we actually spend on the drugs themselves. Huh. So it's it's a negative ROI if you look at it. And a lot of that is because I believe that we haven't had more focus on the actual medication management and having you know clinicians involved in that, like a pharmacist that has that kind of experience. And we really think, feel like that's very, very important. And I think we're getting a lot of traction. I also think you're seeing CMS starting to really focus on what does transition of care look like? Um, you know, what does chronic care look like? How are we helping ensure these patients are being followed? What does that What does that look like? And, and how do we help kind of manage all that all that care? Because these patients are going from so many different facilities, and and so I think those are important concepts to kind of think about. Um, and, and that's again what we've kind of focused on from a from a non adherence and from a medication you know management and, and optimization perspective. So. Uh, explain what transitional care management services are and how they can help with this problem. Yeah, so that kind of ties in a little bit what I was just talking about, but you know, the, the transitional care management, it can be lots of different ways to skin this cat. Uh, you'll see you know, multiple health systems, maybe they'll have a, a pharmacy technician in the ER that on, you know, when that patient's being admitted, they might be doing a med rec at that point. Uh, they might be inpatient pharmacist doing a med rec at that point, or maybe on discharge, they might be um, you know, meeting with that patient and kind of doing a discharge summary and, and kind of walking through what that med rec looks like. But the transition of care is, again, it's, it's really ensuring does everybody involved with that patient's care as they're transitioning, do they know what medications that patient's on? And it's even beyond just the medication. I mean, a lot of times we're finding, you know, patients that need to be, you know, maybe they need to have a different caregiver, maybe they need to have a different physician they're seeing or, or an additional physician. Um, you know, we've had some experience with this where one in three patients we've been interacting with don't even have a primary care physician as they're being transitioned out of the hospital. 
So it's kind of that you know treat and street mentality that how are we how are we connecting those dots? So once that patient's been discharged, who's managing that patient? We don't want them just coming back into the ER. And how do we kind of make those connections then too? Um, you'll see again a lot of health systems that that may be using you know maybe lower we kind of call them lower licensure folks you know so maybe uh, you know, not somebody who's like a pharmacist necessarily doing that sometimes they will be but our focus has really been having the pharmacist be involved in this care because if we're having communication with a patient and I'm a pharmacist then I can address and resolve a lot of issues it's above and beyond just here's your med list here's what you're supposed to be on you know this is what you went in on this is what you're coming out on this is what you're supposed to be on it's as a clinical pharmacist you're looking at that and saying does this all make sense this doesn't really make sense i'm going to kind of work with your physician and try to resolve these issues it's not just uh uh it's not an accounting exercise necessarily of here's the measures you're you know we say that you're supposed to be on it's taking that next step and saying does this all even make sense that you should be on these medications right. how can we help drive some of those outcomes. So that that's another big important part of what we think transitional care looks like compared to maybe some traditional roles uh, that you'll see out there. Um, so tell me a little bit about this. Uh, there's a 30 day pilot study uh, on TCM interventions that you that you guys did. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. We uh, so yeah, so we were working with uh, Dr. First. So Dr. First um, has a, a med HX uh, program that, that we were utilizing. So what that what that program looks like is one of our partners was working with a health system and they had nurses that were really focused on working with these patients once they were being transitioned, but they were running into a lot of patients that were having medication-related problems. And, and maybe that was some, you know, they couldn't afford the medications or they were just on a lot of different medications. And they, they the nurses really felt like we need to have clinical pharmacists more involved in this be able to interact directly with that patient, um, potentially doing some chart reviews and looking at that, but really interacting more with the patient to try to figure out what, what problems were going on. So by using Dr. First solution with the, the MedHX is we were able to you know, help identify who those patients are that required some additional monitoring without really having to go to multiple sources to get information about those medications. And that gets to be really complicated in the healthcare industry because you know, you, you've got different EMRs, you've got different H EHRs that may not be communicating with each other, patients going to different facilities. It's really hard to know exactly what that medication, the patient's medications have been, um, even diagnosis, labs, some of that type of information too. So what we're able to use the Doctor First solution then to be able to help kind of help manage those patients, identify those high-risk medications that the patients were, help adjusting those medications, but then also being able to escalate issues that we would find back to their primary care physician or any of the specialists that were involved in that patient's care. Um, so we felt like that was really, really important. Um, being able to, again, pull down, you know, I've been talking to Jane Doe, I can get a really comprehensive history from a, from a data feed that we can get from Dr. First. We're also, of course, collecting information from that patient through that interview and, and getting their, you know, their input as well. But to have that data at our fingertips was really, really imperative for us to have a, a successful program. So as far as, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge program at all. It was a pretty small pilot that we were working with this group. Uh, but we started off with 19 patients that we met in that pilot. And of those 19 patients, we were able to find or predict that two of these patients were really 
very high likelihood of being readmitted. And so what we did as a clinical pharmacist worked with these patients to identify, you know, what drug therapy problems were, were we finding, what issues were we seeing with these patients, how could we address some of those. Um, we found of those 19 patients, we were really able to only connect with 11 of those patients, eight of those patients we just really weren't able to, to get a hold of. Um, but we were able to identify and, and resolve 26 interventions with those um, you know, 11 patients we were able to work with. So that's about two and a half interventions per patient that we were working with. Most of those were like a medication change recommendation or an addition to the medication regimen that they were on. Um, we were able to use secure text messaging and some of that kind of information also to kind of work with those patients then also. One patient in particular we found was pretty interesting is that we were able to identify that these, this patient had a diagnosis of COPD, so congestive uh, uh, pulmonary disease. And so with, with what this person had, they were not on any COPD medications, which we thought was really weird. We thought it was just a data hmm. issue. And so we looked at it farther, and as we're having you know, communications with the patient, no, they had been diagnosed with COPD, but had never gotten any COPD medications prescribed to them. Um, this person had just kind of fallen through the cracks. Uh, we also had another patient that was on, that had a lot of congestive heart failure medications, uh, some hypertension-related medications as well, too. And we had some major concerns with this patient. And so as we we're working with this patient, we we're trying to identify and resolve some of these issues. And this patient, their primary physician was kind of really their nephrologist, which is, you know, their kidney doctor. So we're trying to, you know, try to work with this kidney doctor so you can find a PCP for this patient to refer to. And in this process, the patient actually got readmitted. So, you know, even though we were starting to try to work with this patient and try to get them to not get readmitted back in the hospital, you kind of knew this patient was kind of going in that direction then too. So we kind of feel like if, you know, if there was a little better coordination with some of that, we could have really helped keep that patient out of the hospital. Um, but again, with, with utilizing the, the data we had from Dr. First, it was really helpful to identify who those patients were and then try to resolve some of those issues and, and you know, what was kind of going on with that patient. So, um, you know, based on how the study went, where do you go from here? Are you going to ramp it up to uh, on a wider scale or how, how's it going to work? Yeah, so that that's what our intention is, is that, you know, as we are, you know, when we do other programs with uh, physician clinics and, and hospitals around remote patient monitoring and um, chronic care management and some of those types of programs and two annual wellness visits. And so we really feel like transitions of care is a part of that entire package. So we feel like, you know, if that patient has been in the hospital, now they've transitioned out, we want to do that, you know, do transitions of care, but like that patient probably needs to be enrolled in some sort of chronic care management program that's kind of a monthly touch point with that patient. And then likely that patient needs to have some sort of ongoing, you know, vital so it could be their blood pressure, it could be their glucose, it could be their weight for the congestive heart failure and some of those types of things too. So kind of that bundled package of, you know, patients transitioned, now we get them in chronic care management, we're also doing RPM, trying to help keep that patient in between their physician office, office visits, keeping them up to date on what's going on with this patient and then intervening if we feel like this patient's going in the wrong direction and making sure their physician's aware of what's going on. So again, we're kind of helping kind of be that coach for them. So we feel like TCM, while it can stand on its own, we think like, we feel like it's a much more comprehensive solution if it's part of a kind of a bundle, bundle package. So we feel like there's a lot of opportunities 
And I think hospitals are starting to focus more and more on TCM just because, you know, they're seeing on their bottom line that Medicare is starting to, again, focus on this even more. They want to mitigate or decrease the likelihood of, um, you know, penalties that can go along with what that, what that reimbursement will look like for them. And, and, and again, just from an outcomes perspective, they want to help keep those patients out of the hospital because, you know, that's, that's showing that they're having better health outcomes than what they were seeing before. Yeah. And, you know, it certainly seems like, you know, the solution to the, to these problems, uh, you know, it's very common sense. I mean, it's not like it's, uh, you know, rocket science where it's, you know, something crazy that, you know, a, a bunch of scientists have to get into a lab to figure out. I mean, it's really kind of, you know, basic common sense stuff. Why, why is it taking so long for the, the industry to kind of get this stuff under control? I think the challenge is, especially in healthcare, things are very siloed and very segmented. So, you know, and, and, you know that's a that's a whole other podcast, I think. But yeah, but you know, just a lot of level would be, you know, my incentive if I'm a hospital, my incentive is to really treat this patient and, and try to get that bed to be open as quickly as I possibly can. And I'm not I'm not blaming hospitals, but that's just how the system's set up. So as soon as we get that patient in place where they're stable enough to get them home, that's the goal. And, you know, if I'm the PCP, my goal, you know, I only got, you know, two minutes to spend with this patient. What things can I figure out with this patient quickly? Because I've got 50 other patients I've got to see, see today. So I think a lot of the challenge is, is everybody's trying to do things so quickly to get on to the next patient because that's just unfortunately kind of how our, our healthcare system is set up. Also, a lot of these systems don't talk to each other very well. You know, right. I'm, I'm an inpatient hospital or a, you know, an inpatient pharmacist or an inpatient you know, hospitalist or whatever I am, you know, or I'm an ambulatory, you know, I'm a physician clinic or a PCP. Sometimes if I'm a PCP, I don't even know that my patient's been in my hospital. I don't even know that they've been, you know, they've been discharged. I have no idea what's going on with that patient. So oftentimes it's left up to the patient to kind of, you know, figure out these, these crazy, you know, figure out who do I follow up with and what do I need to do next? And, and the patient's already sick or they've already got some other issues that are going on. So and caregivers get really lost in the shuffle of, okay, who do I need to, what's going on with this patient? And, you know, and then I go to the, my pharmacy to try to fill my prescriptions and they're running around like crazy people. And they don't have a lot of time to try to figure out what's going on with this patient. It's like, well, this is what the doctor prescribed. And, you know, they, they might follow up and try to do a few things, but nobody's really taking the time with the patient stepping back and saying, let me, you know, let me take a half an hour, let me take an hour, whatever it takes for me to help figure out what's going on with this patient and, and let's help navigate some of these waters. That, that sounds simple, but in the current infrastructure, in the current reimbursement model, it's really hard to just do that as a one-off. It really has to be more of a comprehensive, long-term longitudinal approach. And that's kind of the direction we're trying to go with, with this type of model. Yeah. Are you optimistic that say, you know, five, 10 years down the road, you know, we'll, we'll be kind of closer to doing something like that where, you know, everybody's talking to each other and, you know, a lot of these kind of simple errors can be avoided. I, I think so. I mean, I think, I think technology will help with that, but I also think that, um, you know, we just need to have more, more healthcare professionals that are really focused on that and really trying to look at overall, what's the well-being of this patient, what's overall healthcare of this patient and not so focus on, okay, what, what am I here? Just look at this one patient for this one thing that we came in for today. Let's take a step back and try to focus on what's going on with that patient, you know, 
in a broader respect. I think I think that's really important. And I think that you're seeing more clinicians go in that direction. And I think you're going to start seeing more reimbursement that way too. I think as you're seeing more performance-based metrics and contracting around what are the outcomes, not just a fee-for-service model. And I think we've talked about that for years, is that you know, fee-for-service is going away. You know, it is, I think it's it's going away much slower than people anticipated it would. But I also feel like at least over the last few years, you're seeing an acceleration of that and that uh, you know, payers are no longer willing just to pay for what you did, but it's more what are the outcomes of what you did. And I think there's going to be more money focused on that. And I think if that does truly happen, we are going to have to have a huge paradigm shift within the, the healthcare you know, universe within in, in the U.S. healthcare system, for sure. Definitely. Well, here's hoping that, uh, you know, things change for the better. And uh, sounds like you guys are on the right path anyway. So thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate the time, Dave. All right. That wraps up episode 43 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and happy holidays.